you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open it up to John's Gospel, chapter 13. Continuing to go through our study here in John's Gospel. We're a little over halfway, just barely halfway. It's a true story. I was flying back from the East Coast several years ago while I was uh, very tired from a busy week, and it wasn't a vacation for me on this trip. And uh, I'm uh, reclining my seat, you know, in coach, where they give you those huge seats with all that leg room. You know, I had the aisle seat, fortunately, and uh, I was trying to stretch out and trying to get as comfortable as I could. And as soon as I reclined my chair, as you know, we got up to the cruising altitude and I'm like, okay, you know, all of a sudden this force comes and throws my seat forward like this. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And the guy sitting next to me is dying laughing because he saw what happened. There's this little blue haired lady in the back, this New York gal, you know, 180 years old, but strong. Apparently was a mute because she couldn't say anything to me. And so when my, as soon as my seat went back, she literally braced her back up against her chair with both feet, stuck her four foot nothing feet on the back of my seat and went wham and just shoved it forward. This guy's cracking up and I'm thinking, did that really just happen? That didn't tell me that didn't. And this, I am not making this up. And of course, me being the compassionate soul, not necessarily one of my finer moments, I'm thinking, ah, a test of wills. She could have said something to me, but she didn't. Put my seat back. Go like that. I'm like, let's try this. Within 30 seconds, my seat, wham, flies forward. She does it again. The guy's just, I mean, he's losing it. He's about to wet himself. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all right, let's try it a third time. There's no way. Now I'm, now I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to see who's going to win this battle of wills. And so I put my feet up against the front seat and I'm bracing myself as I push the seat back like this and I'm all my strength trying to hold this thing back and all of a sudden I can feel this little lady sticking her feet at the back of the seat and going and she's pushing and then I'm not going and I'm winning and she's now getting mad so she starts ringing the bell ding 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 and the the waitress waitress flight attendant comes over sorry flight attendant comes over and says ma'am what's wrong would you tell that young man to put his seat forward to which I look at her and I say Hmm. And she says, ma'am, he paid for that ticket. Well, he shouldn't put his seat back. And she then showed her how to use the reclining features of her seat. It was funny. But bad decisions, unfortunately, make really good stories. It wasn't one of my finer moments. One of my funnier moments, but not one of my finer moments. Isn't it interesting how when people 
You know, we can love people that love us back. We can love people that are nice to us back. But jerks, people who are just insensitive, people we just don't like, do we just kind of write them off? And it's interesting when they sort of, when they just sort of touch that nerve, that you just kind of like, all right, we're going to have a, a force of wills here. I'm reminded there's a kid, um, there was a Sunday school teacher actually, was teaching Sunday school and the, it was, the, the, the Sunday school teacher was trying to convey the, the point about love was trying to, to win this, this, this argument and trying to explain this whole concept of love. And so he says, all right, let me explain to you. Let me ask you it this way. He said to these little kids, like first, second graders. If I paid you $1,000 not to love your mom and dad, what would you do? Silence in the room. And little Johnny kind of sleepishly pulls his hand up. Well, I don't know, but how much would you pay me to not love my sister? In John 13, we have a passage of Scripture that talks about this very difficult subject, but a very important one. In fact, I think the heart of the Gospel, the heart of the Bible, God's heart, I believe, is contained in the verses we're about to read. In John 13, we get a backstage pass to some of the most intimate and intense moments between Jesus and his disciples there in the upper room within hours of his death. In 24 hours, Jesus will have gone to the cross. And it's, in when the, it's, in when the, it's within this tense atmosphere that Jesus commands his disciples to embrace a standard of love that some might say is completely impossible for anyone but Jesus. And so we read in verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Lord, would you open this word to us? Lord, I pray that this morning the call to love one another would be more than just a bumper sticker to us. But Lord, you would... Do a miraculous change in our hearts. And I believe you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Here's the command. Here's what Jesus commands us to do. Love one another. Simple enough. Almost sounds kind of like a bumper sticker. I could do that. And then, here's the standard by which you're to evaluate the quality of that love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> okay, now Jesus, you just raised the bar just a little bit high, don't you think? And when you do that, this is going to be the result, Jesus is saying, that all men will know that you're not my disciples. And it's interesting, I believe that right here, we see the heart of God's grand strategy to tell the world about His unconditional love. And so how is the world going to experience? How is the world going to see the love of Jesus? Well, and it's this. It's that when you, His disciples, love people the way Jesus loves you, they'll know it's Jesus who's at work in you. That's the principle. And so according to what Jesus has said here, what then is the primary method 
for reaching people with the love of Jesus. It must be the signs that we hold up on a street corner, right? That's how they're going to know about it. And maybe it's the arguments that we win, right? The theological arguments. Maybe it's through the music that we sing that people are going to hear or know about the love of Jesus. Maybe it's through the sermons we preach. Maybe it's through our political philosophy that we defend. Is that what he said? Maybe it's, maybe it's through demonstrations of the Spirit. Maybe what we really need is for people to get healed every Sunday, for lightning bolts to come out of the sky, and for all of this amazing stuff to happen, which I'm not opposed to, but is that what he was saying about how people are going to get to know the love of Jesus? Maybe it's through our orthodox theology. Maybe if we can check off the right theological boxes in our experience, that's how people are going to know that we really love Jesus. Maybe it's our moral outrage at those immoral homosexuals. Maybe that's the way they'll know about our love for Jesus. Maybe it's through the picket signs that we hold up at the abortion clinic. Maybe that's the way they're going to know. Maybe it's through the opposition that we have to, to crazy pagan philosophies that are anti-Christian. Maybe we should just go out and have a crusade against all that stuff. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No. It's this. Love one another. As I have loved you, he said. Love one another as I have loved you. (laughs) Which raises a question in my mind. If Jesus really wants the whole world to see and experience his crazy kind of love, then why would he trust people like us? I mean, think about it. Does that make any sense? Why would he trust people like us with that incredible responsibility? I mean, just watch the news for one minute, and you'll find that our humanity is really good at a lot of things. Loving each other ain't one of them. It just doesn't necessarily come naturally. I mean, yes, I know there are times where we have some shining moments. But we really got to work at it. And so I often want, I think, as I read this, this is my, Lord, is this such a smart plan? Really? Is that the way you're going to do this? Is it smart to expect such emotionally disabled amateurs like us to love with the kind of love that seems possible only with you, God? Is that really smart? Imagine today if you were watching the NFC Championship, which I hope to do, between the New York Giants and the 49ers this afternoon. Unfortunately, the Green Bay Packers aren't in the Super Bowl, but we won't go there. Uh, My wife's in depression because of that. Um, But imagine if you turn on the TV and you found out that the coach of the New York Giants has benched Eli Manning. And you think, what in the world is going on? And then you hear the team announced. And the last player announced is the quarterback. And now your quarterback, weighing 200 pounds, soaking wet, six foot something, at least that's what his driver's license says, from Milton, Washington. It's pastor of the disaster, Chad Skilperort. <laughs> It'd make headlines. And the Giants would definitely lose the game. And I'd probably lose my life. But I'd go down in flames. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. And it seems that in the Super Bowl of love, Coach Jesus has decided to play a bunch of disabled amateurs. Put us on the field. Does that make any sense? Well, consider this. 
What if the pastor of disaster actually complete, completed a pass in the game today? Go figure. What if it was actually a frozen, frozen rope, long bomb down the sidelines, 90 yards, touchdown pass? If you didn't die, you'd say, whoa. And you probably wouldn't say, hey, Chad, good job. You'd say, dude, where'd that come from? You see, when the world witnesses supernatural love coming from emotionally disabled amateurs, they know that God must be involved. Because it's easier, I believe, for a scrawny pastor like me to throw a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl than it is to love people the way Jesus loves. Let's just, let's just be honest about it. What Jesus is asking is hard. No, it's not just hard. I believe it is impossible, humanly speaking. If only Jesus had said, just love one another, and he'd stopped right there. Come on, just stop right there. But no, then he has to go on and qualify it. And he says, and he adds the impossible, as I have loved you. <laughs> really? You want me to embrace society's rejects and not just pretend to like them, but actually love them? Come on, Jesus, you want me to be compassionate and forgiving to people who will betray me and make fun of me? You've got to be kidding me. You want me to be hum- humbly, you want me to humbly serve people who, who are just going to take advantage of me? Is that what you want? You, you want me to sacrifice my time and my finances to dysfunctional people who aren't even going to appreciate it? Really, Jesus, you want me to love people even if there's nothing in it for me? Come on. Is that what you want, Jesus? Well, the Lord's answer is yes. I want you to love people just as I loved you. Now, I think there's a couple of ways we can respond to this. One of them is, is I think, a naive, not so smart way. <laughs> and say, okay, Jesus, I'll just make a list of the things that you did. And I'm going to start trying to love people that way. You can try that. Lots of people have. And, you know, I think you'll actually maybe even move the ball a little bit. You know, on the scale of things, you might actually become a little bit better of a person. But I can guarantee you, you will never reach the standard to which Jesus has set. And it'll be very frustrating in the process. Or we could do the honest method, which I think is a good one to start with. Because it begins with a confession. Jesus... What you just asked me to do is downright impossible. You've got to be kidding. And you know, I believe that's the point. Because it's true. It's impossible. But then I've got to read some more in the Bible. Because then I, when I do, I'm going to remember this. That all things are possible through Christ. He's in the miracle business. He is in the transformation business. The same love that saved you is the same love that transforms you. The same love that transforms you is the same love that is going to reach the world through you. He wouldn't have given us a command like this and then left us powerless so that we couldn't do what he's already asked us to do. Jesus doesn't operate that way. That's not God's M.O. So how can we love people the way Jesus loves us? Number one is this. I need to receive a miracle 
to do the impossible. I need to receive a miracle to do the impossible. And, and before we go any further, I just want to set something up. Because it's important to notice, I believe, the order of things in John's Gospel, particularly the last half of chapter 13, from verses 18 to 38. There's a, an interesting order, because in verse 18 to 30, Jesus begins he, to predict Judas' betrayal. Then, in the upper room, after he predicts that betrayal, Judas leaves the room. And when he does, Jesus commands the remaining disciples to love one another. The verses that we just read. And then, as soon as he's finished with that, he begins then to predict, in verse uh, 36 and 38, to, to predict Peter's triple denials. And so understand, this command to love one another doesn't just pop out of Scripture in the middle of nowhere. It comes sandwiched between two of the greatest failures of love the world has ever seen. The betrayals of Judas and the denials of, of Peter. And it's in that context, and it's very important to remember. Because I, I don't think it's an accident that John dropped these right here. Let's think of Judas for just a minute. He walked with Jesus from the beginning, saw the miracles, had went on missions trips with the other disciples. God had given him power to do miracles. He got to be a part of Jesus' teaching. Not only did he see his public teaching, but he got to be a part of the fireside chats afterwards where Jesus sort of just opened it all up and, and explained the details. He got to be a part of that. He had a, a backstage pass to some of the most incredible events, the greatest events of history. He was the beneficiary of the greatest love man has ever known. And yet when the moment was right, when the moment came, that would test his love. When it mattered most, he couldn't return that love. And I think Judas is a lot like many of us who fill our churches today. Because many of us walk with the other disciples, sing the songs with the other disciples, volunteer to help in the church nursery with the other disciples. But inside, some of us have a secret life that will not yield to the will of God. Some of us would rather talk about Jesus than actually love like Jesus. Some of us will, will talk about love, but for some reason, there's this emotional constipation which keeps us from expressing it. We might even get caught up in religious experience. But at the end of the day, you might come back to the real agenda that you have. You might even have the right theology. But when it really matters, when things get really tough, when love is put to the ultimate test, do you respond a little bit like Judas? And I think when we consider a person like Judas, we, we often run, wonder, was there any, ever any real love there in the first place? And then it also asks me, it causes me to wonder this question, that is, how did Judas get like that? Because I don't think he started with that in mind. No way. And I think verse 20 is very interesting. If we go back up to verse 20. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever accepts Anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. 
Notice this. After he had said that, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Why was Jesus troubled in spirit? Notice he was troubled after he had said something. What was it that he said? He said, whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And then he describes his betrayal. Actually describes his betrayer. And I'm convinced that those words, whoever accepts me, although they were spoken to the whole group that was uh, collected there, I believe those words were actually really intended for Judas himself. Why? I believe it's this, because Judas, I don't believe, had ever really accepted Jesus. And yet, even in that moment, Jesus, by saying what he had said, anyone who accepts me, Jesus has actually... Offering to Judas the olive branch. And Judas refuses to accept it. Why? I don't know. But I believe that for somebody like Judas, I, I, I think that the promise of undeserved grace was absolutely ludicrous, scandalous. It was unfair. To Judas, the cross, I believe, symbolized weakness, not power. Failure, not victory. And that key word there, accept, that word, it's what other translations, I believe, correctly uh, include the word receive. And in the Greek, it means literally to hold in one's grasp. Judas could never hold in his grasp the reality of who Jesus really was. And I believe that the more he discovered that Jesus really meant what he meant and that he was going to go to a cross... I believe that something snapped in his heart and Satan took hold of that and caused him to be the betrayer. And so it's not a surprise that Jesus then gives the command to love one another after Judas leaves the room. Why? Well, because unless you've actually received Jesus, unless unless you've received the miracle of his love, unless you have been overcome by the grace extended to you through Jesus... Unless you've experienced that, the command to love one another is nothing more than a stupid first century bumper sticker. And so my question this morning is, do some of us in, in, in any small way identify with Judas? You know, not that you would necessarily be a betrayer. <laughs> yeah, let's have a vote. How many of us are Judases? No. But I think there's some things that we can identify with. Maybe you're not the betraying type, but maybe, honestly, you're this morning, and maybe for a long time, haven't really been filled with the love of Jesus. Maybe you're a churchgoer, like being with church people, at least as long as they don't require too much of you. And if your love for people maybe was a patient in the hospital, I wonder what the diagnosis would be. Your love is on life support? Maybe the patient is flatlining. Now, if Jesus isn't alive in you, then remember this. You can't raise the dead. I know someone who can. 
Jesus can raise the dead. He's a miracle-working God. He wouldn't have said this if it wasn't possible through him. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 12. Same writer has now written a letter. It says, as many as received him. Again, that was Judas' problem. Hadn't received him. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And John, here, he reminds us that the miracle of rebirth, it's not of blood, it's not of the will of the flesh, it's nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, you can't conjure this up. You can't create this within yourself. You can't receive the resurrected love of Jesus by trying to imitate it, working hard to get it. He's saying, you need to be born of God. And if you want that miracle, if you want to have that supernatural, impossible kind of crazy love, then the message for you this morning is just receive Jesus. Just receive Him by faith. Come to Him this morning. I don't care if you've been in church for your whole life. I don't care if if you've never been here before or anywhere, or this is like the beginning of your faith journey. If you want to be transformed by the love of Jesus, just receive Him. Don't do what Judas did and keep God at arm's length. Because as you do, you begin to die inside. And the love inside of you grows cold. Receive His grace. Stop worrying about whether... And here's the thing. Stop worrying about whether you measure up or not. Because, you know, He knows you've messed up. Just receive Him. Let Him overwhelm you with His grace. Because you know what happens? And I, I can just see this in the course of my own life. If I have ever expressed real love for people, it's been at times when I am completely overwhelmed by the grace of God toward a sinner like me. Then I can love people. Then I can really do things that I wouldn't do. Sure, I love people who love me back. We all do that. But that ain't the standard the Lord is talking about here. He has raised the bar. You see, the problem with Judas' love was simply this, that he couldn't give what he had never received. If you're having a problem loving people, it's because you're having a problem receiving the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's the problem. God is at arm's length. He's this theological mascot. He's just sort of the man upstairs. There is no reality here. And what we're talking about is something so real, so personal, so loving, so amazing, that to stand here and to not just embrace Him and to say, Jesus, I receive you, would be the stupidest thing in the world. Why would we do that? Now, I, I think it's important we direct our attention for just a minute to Peter, too. Because there's something very instructive here in Peter's life. And I believe Peter's failure then shows us the second thing we need to be able to fulfill the Lord's command to love. In verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus has just told him about the cross. And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter, Lord, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? 
I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's Peter, isn't it? I mean, he just, I love that. I'm going to go for it all. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? To tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, not only will you not lay down your life for me, but you're going to disown me three times. Peter didn't like hearing that. But notice how Peter responded. Peter responds, you're kidding, Jesus. I'm going to lay down my life for you. You don't know what you're talking about. Come on. It's me, Peter, your man. I'm the guy that walked on water while all the other guys sat in the boat and just made fun of me. It's me you're talking to. And I think in that moment, Peter must have really meant it. He did. He thought his love was strong enough to even die for Jesus. Because I don't think he would have said it if he didn't think so. Peter wasn't the kind of guy who said things that he didn't mean. But Jesus knew that his love wasn't that strong. In fact, Peter's love was so weak that he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times that night. What was wrong? Here's the mistake that Peter made. Peter thought that his natural affection, that his natural zeal for Jesus was strong enough to make it through, that his love would would endure just because of the strength of his own character, the strength of his own will, the strength of his love for Jesus, what he naturally had for him. And it wasn't enough. It never is. Have you ever felt that way about somebody? You began a relationship with the best of intentions. You could never even imagine betraying or denying that person when you started that relationship. Maybe it was when you took your wedding vows and you started with that and you had no intention of being a failure at love. Maybe it was with a friend when they needed it most. And you thought, we're buds. That is never going to happen to us. Other people, maybe, but not us. We're, you know, we're tight. And then when it really came down to the, the hard conflict, when, when it really cost you something, you caved. And your love failed when it mattered most. I just want to stop here. If that's you, I want you to know something. You're very normal. You're human. You're not God. But the God of the universe has sent His Son to die for you and to die for me to transform our lives in such a way that He can overcome that failure. If you believe that this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Why did Peter's love fail? Why does our love fail? It's because I think so many times we mistake our natural zeal, our natural affection, the things that are naturally within us because God created us with a capacity to love. We mistake that natural capacity with the ability to love like Jesus loved. And there's a light years of difference. And so number one, if we're going to love like that, we need a miracle to do the impossible. Number two, I need a standard of love that exceeds my natural affection for people. Jesus has raised the bar, and we need to be able to see where it's raised. And so he's calling us now to stop 
seeing our relationships from the perspective of just a human understanding of what love is. And to come into relationships expecting the supernatural. Instead of coming to things with that sense of defeat, like things will never change here. But to come to the Lord on our knees and say, Lord, change this relationship, but change it with me first. I'm going to come. I'm going to receive the miracle that you have for me. And we remember that Judah's problem was this, that he had never received that. What I love about Peter, he didn't make that mistake. He hung around. He stuck with it. Oh yeah, he was ashamed. He wept when he was reminded of what Jesus said after the third denial. He was embarrassed. But let's fast forward just for a second. I'm not going to read it, but I just want to fast forward to... Chapter 21 of John's Gospel. Because in one of Christ's many resurrection appearances, he prepared a breakfast on the beach for the disciples who'd been fishing all night. And remember that Peter's denials were a very public failure. No doubt he felt this incredible sense of shame. And that's with this context of this emotionally charged environment, right there on the beach, Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Huh? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter responds, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And the third time Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Why did Jesus do that? Was he rubbing Peter's nose in it? No. Was Jesus insecure about his love for Peter? Uh-uh. But I can tell you this, Peter's... Peter himself was very insecure at that point in his love for Jesus because Peter had already blown it. And this was Jesus' way of saying to Peter, bro, my love for you, and I believe it's his message for us this morning, that my love for you is not dependent on your love for me. My love for you is far greater than any natural zeal you might try to conjure up from your self-will. And it was the Lord's way of saying, Peter, I love you so much that even if your love fails me again and you come back to me again, I will always come and we can always pick up right where we left off. Peter, do you love me? And he's asking you this morning, do you love me? He's asking us, do you love me? And we say, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. But I need your help to love me. I need your help. I need that miracle. You know, it turns out Peter was right when he promised to lay down his life for Jesus. He was right. He just was wrong about the timing. Because decades later, when Peter could have saved his life by just denying Christ, he wouldn't do it. His love didn't fail. Because he had received something from Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down on a cross when he could have just denied him once. And he refused to do it. How did Peter get that kind of love? That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here when he says, Love one another as I have loved you. That is the ultimate example. Where did he get that? 
Peter received the same kind of supernatural love that changes a man, changes a woman. Judas never received that. Peter did. Question. Have you? Have you this morning? I think the Lord wants to do something in our hearts in a miraculous way. And He wants to start with individual hearts. Yours. Maybe you identify a little bit with Peter. Maybe you thought you had the love that endures, but you blew it. Maybe you're good at starting relationships, but you really aren't so good at keeping them going, especially when things get tough. Maybe because of something that happened in the context of a relationship, there's some shame that you're carrying around. Maybe it's the way you've let the Lord down. Maybe it's the way you've let somebody else down. And you're in that place this morning where you're afraid to even try to love again. You're afraid to open your heart. You are so guarded that it's like, I am not going to let anyone there. Now, you can stay in that place. And if you stay in that place long enough, you know what happens to that faith that you had at one point? I believe it becomes like the faith of Judas, where it just completely dies out. But I don't think we want that. So this morning, the Lord would invite you to receive, I think, a miracle into changing how we love. Because He wants to change and transform your heart. Lord, this morning, this is so hard. Lord, you've given us an incredibly difficult challenge. And Lord, even now, I I see, I, I just want to tell you what I see. The Lord has just, in that moment, just in this moment, has just given me a picture of marriages healed, of parent-child relationships restored, of business relationships repaired. And the word bitterness comes to mind. The Lord is going to turn something, a relationship that's bitter, and make it sweet. That for some of us, the shame, the Lord is going to come, I believe, for some of us this morning, and heal a memory that you had or have that is keeping you from exploring His love and engaging the world with the love of, of Him, the love of Christ. I, I, I just I also see a picture this morning of
to mom and, and one of your kids. And mom, you said some things. And you can't take them back because they're out there now. But the Holy Spirit is giving you the ability, I believe, right now, if you'll receive it, to go and to ask forgiveness. If you'll come and receive His forgiveness right now for even that thing you said or did. I see a, a picture of a, it's a, a, a man who you, you were really abused. And there's things that you haven't even mentioned to anyone. And I just want you to know that the Lord this morning wants to come and to heal that place of pain he wants to invite he wants you to invite him into that place take a step of faith to receive your love even into that thing that was done to you and to heal Lord would you give us the faith to respond to what you're doing in our lives thank you Jesus